last week uh, we looked at 2 Peter chapter 1. We're doing a little three-week series on 2 Peter, a little letter of 2 Peter. Uh, Tonight we're looking at the second half of 2 Peter 1 and all of 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 is one of the most complicated and uh, tricky uh, chapters in the whole of the New Testament. Uh, So we do need to pray, Um, but I'm going to read it first and then we'll pray and then we'll have a look at it together. So... Peter's writing this letter. He's an old man. He's about to die. This is what he writes. He says, So I'll always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I'll soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you'll do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2. But there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. And then uh, Peter continues to talk about false teachers. He says lots of various things, and let's pick it up again. Uh, We'll look at all the bit that I'm not reading, but let me just pick it up over the page at verse 17. He says, These people, the false prophets, are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Quite a lot there. I only read half of it. Uh, Let's pray. Lord God, by the power of your Spirit, please would you help us? Would you help me? As I speak, just as Peter writes about dogs returning to their vomit, we pray that we would not be those returning to the vomit. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were here last week, uh, you may remember at the start of my sermon, I came wobbling in on a bicycle. 
like that, not that particular bicycle, but I came wobbling in on the bicycle. And the whole point of coming on the bicycle was to say that in, in some ways, in many ways, um, the Christian life is a bit like riding a bicycle. In the sense that we have to keep going. We can't, we've got to keep moving forwards. We've got to keep growing as a Christian because if we stop, then we're in danger of falling. And maybe if you were here last week, at the end of it, you may have thought, and it's a perfectly reasonable question to ask, you may have thought, Jago, that's all very well, but how? How do I actually do that? How do I keep going forwards as a Christian? How do I keep growing as a Christian? Now, I wonder what you think that Peter, writing this letter, might answer. You know, what, what if you like are... What are the bike pedals that we have to keep pushing down on in order to keep moving forwards as a Christian, to keep going forwards, to keep growing in the Christian life? You know, maybe it's uh, you keep growing as a Christian by experiencing more of God's love. You keep growing as a Christian by being filled with the Spirit. You keep growing as a Christian by having a greater encounter of the presence of God. You keep growing as a Christian by joining a connect group at HTC. You know, I don't want to dismiss any of those things. All those things are good things. Don't get me wrong, but they're not what Peter says. Peter actually says this. You keep growing as a Christian by knowing. You keep growing by knowing. I'd love you just to see how this little sort of idea of knowing, of, of knowledge how it keeps uh, coming as a theme throughout the entire letter of this little letter of 2 Peter. Just uh, look, um, first of all, up on the screen, it's going to come chapter 1 and verse 2. So right at the start of the letter, what does Peter say? We looked at it last week. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Very next verse, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. It's so incredible. He's given us everything we need for a godly life through what? Through our knowledge of him who called us. Chapter 1 verse 8. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of our passage today, at the end of chapter 2, Peter says this. He says, "If talking about the false teachers, if they have escaped the corruption of the world, how? By knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And then if you went to the very end of the letter, at the end of chapter 3 of 2 Peter, Peter summarizing his whole letter, what does he say? He says, grow, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we grow? Through knowing. To paraphrase Winnie the Pooh, the more we knows, tiddly-pom, the more we goes, tiddly-pom, on growing. But the question is then, how do we knows? How do we knows? Well, two things. First of all, know Jesus through remembering true Bible teaching. Know Jesus through remembering true Bible teaching. I remember a few years ago now, I was in a discussion group um, with a group of people with J. John, the famous evangelist. And J. John was giving us uh, tips on preaching. And uh, he said to us, he said, whenever you're preaching to people, you want to pray that one of three things will happen to all the people you're speaking to. So one of three things happen to, if you like, all of you. He said the first thing that you want to pray happens is that people remember something that they know, but they've forgotten. 
need to pray that they remember something they know, but then they've forgotten. Second thing, not just remember, the other thing to do is to pray uh, that things will be reinforced for people. That something they know, but they have to focus on. It'll be reinforced in their life. Or the third thing to pray for, to pray uh, that some, for something to be revealed to people. Something that they, they didn't know, but actually it's revealed to them for the first time. And they go, wow, that's amazing. And J. John said this. He said, it's, as a preacher, the thing that we're most excited about is the, the revelation bit, the revealing. To saying to someone, did you know this? And they didn't know it. And they're going, wow, that's amazing. He said, that is the most exciting. But actually, the other two are just as important. It's great to reveal something, but actually reinforcing something or helping people remember something is just as important. And the Apostle Peter would agree. Just look at the first verse of our reading, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Look at what he says. He says, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory. And Peter knows he's about to die. And so the most important thing for him is to write down everything that he thinks is most important to pass on. Verse 15, he says, So that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. And these things that he wants us to be reminded of, refreshed of, remembering, they are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus in the New Testament. That's what verses 16 to 18 are about, the second paragraph. And he wants us to be reminded, refreshed, and remembering the completely reliable, spirit-inspired, prophetic words of the Old Testament. That's what verses 19 to 22, the third paragraph, are about. You see, he says that the way you and I, the way we grow as a Christian, the way we grow as a Christian is by knowing Jesus. And he says the primary way that that happens The primary way we grow as a Christian is through us remembering the Bible, us remembering the Old Testament and the New Testament, us remembering what is in here. He says that's the primary way we grow as a Christian. Just take a look, would you? Just look at verse 17 in that second paragraph. Peter's recounting, you'll probably remember the occasion, he's recounting the time that he was on a mountain and Jesus was transfigured. He says, he says we were eyewitnesses of his majesty as Jesus is transfigured in all his glory. And Peter was one of the three disciples uh, that were up there at that time. And if you look, let me just look at what Peter records God saying in that instance. So there's Peter. He's an old man now. He's looking back on this amazing occasion when he was with Jesus and God speaks audibly, booming from the top of the mountain. And I'd love you to just look at what he records God as saying. The bit in the, um, in, the, in the quotation marks, second half of verse 17. And as you look at that, I'm going to read out what it says in Matthew's Gospel. It says exactly the same, actually, in the other Gospels as well. But in Matthew's Gospel, what is recorded of God saying? I just want you to compare what Peter writes at the end of his life with what is recorded in the Gospel. So this is Matthew 17, and verse 5 writes this. Matthew writes this. He says, a voice said, so God said, this is my son. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. As you see, Peter has missed out three words. He's missed out, listen to him. Because he knows that for the people that he was writing to back then, and indeed for us today, we cannot physically listen to Jesus Christ. Jesus is not walking around with us and we can hear his voice like that. That's not happening. Jesus is now in heaven. And so he doesn't write, listen to him, because he knows we can't. 
Instead, what is he writing about in these, in these paragraphs? He is writing that primarily we listen to Jesus here in the Bible. Last week, I went for a hearing test. Um, Susanna and, and the children have been saying that I am obviously deaf uh, because I never seem to hear them when they speak to me. Uh, and so they sent me off uh, and I went to the GP. I got an emergency appointment apparently, uh, the emergency hearing clinic in Guy's Hospital. And I went there and uh, the man said, I'm not quite sure why you're here. And I said, I'm not quite sure either. But anyway, um, and um, I was shoved in this little sort of sound booth thing. I was given some uh, headphones. I was given a little button to press every time I could hear a noise as all these different noises came through the headphones. And I was there for about 25 minutes pressing the button every time I heard a noise. And it went on and on, eventually finished, I came out, and I was given the results of the test. My hearing was absolutely perfectly fine. And so I, I was delighted, I went back to Susanna and the children, I said, it's wonderful, I haven't got a problem with my hearing. And they were even more cross, I was like, why are you cross? And they're like, you're not deaf, you've just got selective hearing, this is appalling. Um, there are so many voices for us to listen to in the world, aren't there? Not just the voice of my family the voice of friends, the voice of colleagues, the voice of ambition, the voice of reason, the voice of media, the voice of advertising. The question is, will you and I actually listen to the voice that matters most of all? Will we listen to that voice of Jesus and we listen supremely to it in here? You see, the key to you or I growing as a Christian is knowing. And we know Jesus through remembering true Bible teaching. And of course, this knowing, this remembering, it is relational. It's not a sort of intellectual gathering lots of facts about Jesus. It's not knowing lots about Jesus academically, but it's knowing him like I know a friend. And it's not just a sort of dry remembering, like you remember or try and remember French vocab before a vocab test. Now, this is remembering by putting what I hear into practice. Can I ask each one of you tonight, is there one thing that you have changed in your life in the last month as a result of what you have heard in the Bible? One thing that you have thought differently. One thing that you have done differently as a result of what you have done as you've read the Bible and you've heard Jesus Christ speaking to you in it. For me, there are many, many months when I cannot think of a single way that I have changed as a result of listening to Jesus in the Bible. And that is a very dangerous place to be. So just like on a bike... If we stop, we drop. And to keep moving forwards, to keep growing as a Christian, we need to know Jesus. We need to know him. And we know him first through remembering true Bible teaching. But then second, second, we, we know Jesus not just through remembering true Bible teaching, but we also know Jesus, chapter 2, through rejecting false teaching. Rejecting false teaching. Now, in the church, in this country, in the 21st century, I believe we have a big problem. And the problem is this. We have a very different attitude to false teaching compared to the early church. Because we barely seem to believe it even exists. 
And yet look at chapter 2, verse 1. Look at that, it's halfway down that first page. Chapter 2, verse 1. Peter writes, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. False teaching, it is alive and well today. It is more dangerous than attacks from outside of the church. This is attack from within the church. This is the church eating itself up. You know, in amongst all the different voices that we can listen to in the world today, in amongst them all can be the sinister voice of false teaching. And most of the time, it is not some sort of obvious occultic satanic ritual, but something far, far, far more subtle. The challenge is that that false teaching, firstly, false teaching is destructive. Just look at you at verse 1 again just there. Look at how he continues. He says, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Let me give you some examples. Uh, In the last 12 months, I know of at least three people in our congregation, in this church, who have been approached here at church by someone from a member of an organization called Paracristo, which is connected to a South Korean cult. So a person from that cult has come here to our services, has chatted to people, has invited them to go to a a Bible study where they'll receive deeper teaching somewhere else. And at least three people, there may be more than that, I know of three people from our congregation who have gone to that thinking they're going to to a regular Bible study, but actually which turns out to be a place where destructive heresies are being taught. Or I think of an individual who wanted to meet with me about a year ago, and he wanted to come and teach in this church. And he believed God had given him this vision of this exact church. He believed that God had given him this vision of this church, and that he was to start with me a significant teaching ministry, which was going to have a huge impact on the Christian world. And he actually, he flew over from a country in the southern hemisphere just to come and meet with me. And he seemed very persuasive to begin with. But then I read his book. And in his book, he said, we focus too much on Jesus, and actually, we need to concentrate just on the Holy Spirit. And in his book, he denied that all of us are naturally sinful and in need of saving. He fitted very accurately the definition of a false teacher in verse 1. If you look at how verse 1 continues, it talks about these false teachers even denying the sovereign Lord who bought us. Denying Jesus, our Lord Jesus, who with his own precious blood on the cross that we have been thanking him for as we've taken communion, denying that. So false teaching, it is destructive. False teaching, it is also attractive. It's attractive that that is why it's so dangerous. Just look at verse 2. Look at the next verse, would you? Verse 2 says this. It says, many, many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. He says, many follow false teaching. And if you just look over the page just for a moment, just go on to verse 19. And verse 19 helps us see why that is. Peter uses the same phrase in verse 19 that he's used in verse 2. He says this, he says, the false teachers, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Promise them freedom. That is about as contemporary as can be 
Freedom is the buzzword in our society. Everybody wants to know freedom. Freedom to do whatever I want to do. Permissiveness, it is attractive. And when one reads Peter's letter going through chapter 2, that desire for freedom, it is most obviously seen in Peter's time in exactly the same way as it most obviously is seen today in the arena of sexuality. The culture of the world is being brought into the church. Today, just as in Peter's time. And it seems so attractive. It seems so freeing. But the question we have to ask is the question here, is does freedom from restrictions necessarily equate with the freedom to flourish? If you want to think more about it, a great book uh, on this subject recently came out. I read it over the summer holidays. It's a book by Professor Glyn Harrison, and it's called A Better Story. A Better Story, and the subtitle is God, Sex, and Human Flourishing. A Better Story. I'd really recommend it. So false teaching. False teaching, it is destructive. It is attractive. And thirdly, it is exploitative. Verse 3, if you go on to the next verse, back on verse 3, halfway down the first page. Verse 3, he says, In their greed, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Now, we've all probably heard dangerous stories about the prosperity gospel where people are fleeced of their money in the pursuit of the desire. They desire health, they desire wealth, they desire happiness, they desire blessing. Give us your money, and then you'll get those things. And the key is this. Well, Peter says back in chapter 1 that we did not follow cleverly invented stories. He says here, these false teachers are making up their own fabricated stories. So, where have we got to? False teaching, says Peter, it is destructive, it is attractive, and it is exploitative. And the question for us is how should we as individuals, how should we as this church respond to false teaching? Here here are three ways to respond. First one is this, reassurance for the faithful. Reassurance for the faithful. What you and I should not do is sort of throw up our hands in horror at the existence of false teaching and think that we're all doomed that there is no hope. Now, if you look at how Peter continues in the next paragraph, verses 4 to 10, Peter says, God will judge, but also God will rescue. We know that God will rescue supremely because of what we've just done, because of the cross. That's why we know God will rescue. And in these verses 4 to 10, he says about various characters. He says, he rescued Noah. He rescued Noah's family. He rescued Lot. And if you know anything about those characters, none of them were perfect, far from it. They were just those individuals who threw themselves on the mercy of God and placed their trust in God rather than trusting in themselves. And so Peter's saying here, be reassured. Please be reassured. God has not ceased to rule. God has not ceased to reign. I mean, just look at verse 9. Verse 9, he says, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So he judges, but he also rescues. He rescues. So there is reassurance for the faithful. Please hold on to that. It is a wonderful, wonderful comfort. Reassurance, it doesn't depend on us. We throw ourselves on the mercy on the one who died for us out of love. 
So reassurance for the faithful. Secondly, rebuke for the false teachers. Rebuke for the false teachers. False teachers exist. And yet more often than not today, they are not thought to be particularly bad. But rather to be part of, if you like, the diversity of voices in the church. Or maybe part of some sort of creative, progressive growth in understanding. Peter thinks differently. Now I could point you to loads and loads of different verses. He says plenty of things. Um, just take, look, go to verse 17. Turn over the page to verse 17. And this is just one example of what Peter says about the false teachers. He says, these people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. And the previous couple of verses, he talks about the false prophet Balaam in the Old Testament. Balaam was rebuked by a donkey. And he says, we are those who are to rebuke, to call out those who are false teaching. And if I'm honest, this is my fear today. My fear is that more and more phrases that you sometimes hear, like uh, phrases like, there's more that unites than divides us. Phrases like that are actually often used as an excuse not to call out and not to rebuke false teaching, but rather to tolerate an anything-goes theology. But you know, true unity amongst Christians True unity comes not when we say we are all free to believe whatever else we like as, a, as, long as, as long as we believe that Jesus is God. We can believe anything else. No, actually, true unity comes when we unite under the truth of the gospel and its outworkings as revealed in the Bible. And on a personal level, for each one of us, we need to challenge false teaching because if we believe that growing, growing as a Christian, if growing happens through knowing then, then true knowledge of Jesus and the Christian life, that is key for you and me growing as Christians. And vice versa, false knowledge about Jesus and the Christian life, it is a complete disaster because it pulls us off the bicycle, if you like. We get entangled by it. We fall over in our Christian life. And for these false teachers, it is actually their supposed true knowledge of Jesus that is the problem for them. Just look, if you would, this knowing word, knowing and knowledge that keeps coming up. Just look at how Peter uses it again and again, just at the end of chapter 2. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, he's talking about the false teachers. He says, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. And let's just say mud is a polite translation of the original Greek. So what have we got? Reassurance for the faithful, rebuke for the false teachers, and then finally, I think actually what is probably most relevant to you and I tonight, finally, reminders for the faltering. Reminders for the faltering. Sometimes um, I take our littlest two children for an attempted bike ride on Clapham Common. And um, when that happens, what generally happens is we get to the bandstand 
And uh, you'll know in the bandstand, there's a bandstand cafe, and we go and sort of fuel up and get a drink and something to eat, a, a muffin or whatever, uh, at the bandstand cafe. And then once we've done that, we set off on our bike ride again, and we head off from the bandstand uh, to the playground. Now, if you know Clapham Common well, um, it is very simple. Here's the bandstand. Here's the playground. There is one little tarmac path that goes straight from one to the other. Okay, and so what I do, um, as you can imagine Hope. Here's Hope's bicycle. We had it last week. We'll have it again. Um, what I do is there's Hope, and I want you to picture the scene. Um, there she is on her bicycle. Okay, this bicycle, um, you may have heard me say, uh, I picked it up off the side of the road. It's, um, it's uh, not the world's classiest bicycle. It squeaks a lot. It's um, very stiff. It's got um, a rusty chain. And Hope has to push pretty hard, actually, to make it go round at all. But um, um, we're, we're building up her muscles well, which is great. And so there she is. You can picture her. She does manage to push it round. And so there she is. She's pedaling away uh, from the bandstand to the playground. And she's pedaling away, and she's doing well. But then, distraction on the left distraction on the left and hope turns to the distraction distraction of the ice cream van now the ice cream van it is destructive <laughs> it is attractive and it is most certainly exploitative <laughs> and hope spies it and she begins to turn she stops pedaling she goes off the path and she's in danger of falling onto the grass now, what do I do about that? How do I solve that problem? Well, what I do, here I am, is I tell Hope what she already knows. I remind her of what she already knows. I go, Hope, playground, keep going. Don't go off that way, playground, keep going. Don't stop, keep going, keep going. I remind her of what she already knows. You and I, we are often on our bikes of the Christian life. And we too are in danger of faltering. That there's false teaching that can distract us, that can entangle us. It's more destructive, more attractive, more exploitative than any ice cream van. And it can cause us to not think what Jesus wants us to think, to not do what Jesus wants us to do. It can cause us to, to turn off the path, to stop pedaling. It can cause us even to be like the false teachers, to turn our backs on the Lord Jesus that we claim to know, to turn our backs on his love, to turn our backs on his grace, to turn our backs on his righteousness, and even to, to if you like, to veer off the path, to stop pedaling, and to head towards the vomit, towards the muck that we've come from in the first place that our Lord Jesus has died to save us from. And the question is, what do we do about it? How do we solve that problem? It's exactly the same. Exactly the same. Be reminded of what we already know. Listen to the voice that matters most. That's what it says at the start of chapter 3. If you look at the start of chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders 
reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And what are these reminders? Verse 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, that's the Old Testament, and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. That's the New Testament. He's saying, I want you to recall the true teaching of the Bible. The question is, for you and for me, as we're on our bikes of the Christian life, the question is, will you, will I, will we listen to that voice? 